Welcome to the Music Book Club, brought to you by Automatic Panic. In each episode, we choose an album, listen to it, and talk about it. I'm Andy Payne, with me is Azim Khan. Hello. And our guest today is the stately Rob King. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks, Andy. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm decent. It's a, it's a good Sunday morning. We've just uh, found out about the new lockdown measures and everyone's buzzing about it. Um, whether that's angry or excited um, will be yet to be determined, but you know. Well, I'm on my second coffee, so I'm going to put it down to that personally. But uh, yeah. yeah, I'm not buzzing yeah. about the lockdown, that's for sure. Coffee mugs represent. There we go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Well, you're all on the coffee. Excellent. <laughs> mine, mine is decaf, though, in fairness. Can I say rude words on this podcast or yes. no? <laughs> Fine, I sleep better at night. <laughs> so, uh, today we are discussing Green Day's American Idiot, released in 2004. If you haven't listened to it yet, press pause now and go do it. Okay, uh, now we can assume everyone is up to speed. How did you find it? Um, this is one of my favorite albums just in general like not even out of i mean obviously all of the ones that we have in this series i like and i enjoy but this to me is is a contender for the best album of the 21st century in my opinion so i think it's safe to say that i i like it uh i'm very much in the same boat i uh i didn't actually ever buy this album my younger brother bought the album uh when i was about I guess I was about 13, 14, so he'd have been about 10 or 11. Um, but uh, it's kind of what got me into uh, pop punk. Um, I didn't, I, I'm a I'm a classical musician by training, um, but this kind of got me listening to more kind of uh, rock, rock albums and uh, got me into pop punk. And I went from this to like Blink-182 and Sun 41 and uh, all of the kind of satellite bands around uh, around at that time. And uh, and yeah, it still sticks out. It's unfortunate actually because this, to me, I kind of got into Green Day at what I consider to be their their kind of high point. Probably, um, I don't think they ever really managed to top this. Which uh, and you're always kind of searching for that uh, that same that same kind of high again, but it never quite it never quite happens. So yeah, I've been chasing the chasing the Green Day dragon for for about what sixteen odd years now. <laughs> <laughs> This is, uh, I own this album, uh, as well. And it was, uh, I'm, I'm a couple of years older than you guys, I think. So I, uh, I already knew Green Day, uh, by this point and really liked them. Um, we played, uh, in my first ever gig, we did a cover version of, uh, I Was Alone, uh, which was, uh, a complete junk song from kind of mm. early Green Day. That was, uh, that was a good few years before, uh, this came out. And, uh, the one thing that, that struck me, I, was big into Blink-182 and uh, Sum 41 and all the kind of related bands by this point. But the thing that struck me immediately and still does is the scope that this had in uh, the genre. Um, I can't think of anything else that has been such a breakout success into the mainstream uh, from that sort of punk rock uh, phase. Mm. And I know Green Day were the kind of early headers of this uh, with uh, Dookie and uh, their work through the 90s. album. Mm, yeah, yeah. No <laughs> they, I think almost all their '90s albums are really good. Um, like uh, through Nimrod and uh, Insomniac is probably my favourite. Yeah, yeah, that's probably my favourite Green Day album. It's uh, and then War- Warning is amazing as well. Um, released in 2000, uh, very different, um, mm. but also a, a, a great, slightly less aggressive. Uh, 
punk rock album. But yeah, this is a this is a real real stonker, I think, from the start to the finish. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's designed as a kind of um, musical or even like rock opera, it's, it's, I think it's been called. In fact, I think there was a stage show set to the music of the album. And generally, I, I somewhat disapprove of these these things because they're just they're really tenuous stage shows with popular songs from an artist just tacked on and none of it makes any sense. Whereas I think this one does, not that I've seen the stage show, but it's kind of written that way. There is a storyline in this album. It's a bit of a concept thing, right? So um, so this, 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 this is a stage show that I'd be interested in seeing. It can kind of work. Like um, NoFX wrote a uh, musical but they wrote all of the songs specifically for that musical, I think, with mm. a couple of maybe a couple of exceptions, mm. um, and and that kind of worked. I think I've, I've seen a little bit of this uh, of um, American Idiot as a as a stage. I think some of it's mm. on on YouTube, mm. and it's like, hmm, we're going to shoehorn this into this song into this right. moment. Oh, I see. That, um, then maybe it isn't so good. But that, that's what I don't like about those stage shows that aren't written as stage shows because you just shove songs in there mm. and it's a bit contrived uh, i mean this is written as a story so it would seem unnecessary exactly to, uh, so mm, even if you mm. without seeing the show you can just listen to the album through um and it's it never really lets up it's 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 uh it just sort of keeps coming at you with tune after tune after tune you know there's some albums there's filler but here there's mm-hmm. there's really none um it just it, it's just really well constructed and really well performed mm-hmm. so it, the last the last song on it is one of my favorites yes. actually uh, uh, well, what's we, the name yeah so we do we do the the favorite song thing usually at the end but we can we can do it now ah. so well one of my favorites that's like probably <laughs> it's hard it's, it's usually hard we'll yeah. we'll talk about them all and then uh, force you to make a decision at <laughs> yeah, the end when you've remembered the three or four that you're like oh god no i forgot about that one i really like that one as well because <laughs> it even says in the in the liner notes here which is in the little booklet that comes in the cd um it doesn't even say uh sort of green day r billy joel armstrong etc it says starring billy joel armstrong <laughs> mike Dern, and trick cool um so they they it really sort of pushed that um concept if you like uh, which i which i really appreciate and I, um and it's partly why it's i regard it so highly because it's as ever, like all the albums, I think that we've picked for this, they're all albums as a piece. They're not just collections of songs that are, happen to be really good. It's it works as a as an ensemble. Um, and I, I have it reminds me actually when you talk Andy when you were saying about how you played uh, Green Day songs in your first band and my sort of first band as such, which was with Rob, um, <laughs> called Third Foundation back in. When was it, about 20, 10, 2011. 10, yeah, yeah. 20, uh, so it was us two and uh, Ed Banks, who's out there somewhere still. Hi, Ed. Um, I saw him in Newcastle, actually, a couple oh, yeah. of months ago. Yeah, nice. yeah. nice. Lovely bloke. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> good drummer, too. And we played American Idiot um, at our first show. And um, I have video evidence of Rob forgetting the lyrics to one of the verses. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I'll never forget that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, mean, I forgot at the time, but I'll never forget the incident. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was in the breakdown. I seem to remember. It was in. It was in one of the. It. it was in one of the verses. I think it was the second oh, was verse. It? Yeah, you just yeah. just fluffed it, and then you just said, "I forgot the words at the top of your voice," and everybody cheered. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't so bad in the end, but uh, yeah, that was honestly, a fun, it's the best policy. Yeah, that was a fun <laughs> word. That was a fun show. Even um, that was the day. 
that I took my, I think I had like a 60 watt amplifier and I just cranked the shit out of it. And in that same video, most of what you can hear is just my guitar. <laughs> that, that's, that's such a guitar move. Yeah, I know. I don't do that is anymore. It? But I thought I was playing so loudly and I listen to all the recordings now and it's just as in like, da 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 da. <laughs> yeah, they, the, the, the sound engineer should have, should have said something that looking back, should have been like, mate, turn that down. <laughs> uh, that was a good gig that was at our um, so we as in and I met in uh, Durham where we went to university and um, we were in the in the same college and uh, that was at our kind of college day which is like a little sort of mini music festival uh, good days um, but I miss those you know we, a big part of this whole thing is you know the fact that we all live in lockdown now and there's such few gigs and all the music festivals this summer got got cancelled it's such a shame because they're they're important in nurturing these kind of bands that come out that can make a big big difference nobody comes out of thin air oh yeah well the green day originally came out from that uh where are they san francisco yeah the bay area yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. so they they came out of like quite a a busy punk rock like local scene Mm. and then they made kind of national and international waves uh later on they were one of the first first breakout bands but um the, with this one, they they certainly like took it to like the new heights of what a um, what a punk rock band could aspire yeah. to be. I think, and I don't, I can't think of many other albums that had genuine impact in yeah. this genre that came out after. And the, I think they were, as Rob said, you know, like that's a lot of people got into pop punk and punk rock through this album. That, yeah, you know, absolutely. The, the the lead single "American Idiot" was a big hit everywhere, pretty much. What I like about it in general is that it's it came at the right sort of time and it's clearly a kind of response to Iraq war um the Bush Man administration and all George this sort of Bush, stuff yeah. yeah and seeing all this stuff happening while in a in a way central the sort of middle america the suburbia and all that is kind of withering um and it ties the two things together really well although it doesn't make too much mention of the external stuff but you know there's a in holiday where um <laughs> Yes, there's like rant in the middle. Yeah, um, representative from California has the floor. <laughs> um, uh, uh, kill all the facts that don't agree. You know, it's this kind of stuff. One of the best, I think, one of the best ways to satirize something is to imitate it. Um, and when you and when you don't have to modify it that much, and it works, then it tells you something. It makes the, the satire even more sort of incendiary, if you like. Have you ever heard the bonus tracks to this? Um, which there's ones? a song called Go- uh, Governator. No, mm-hmm. I don't think I have. Which was about Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, when he was <laughs> governor of California. Governator. Um, yeah, exactly. I actually listened to the deluxe version of this, and ah. I'd heard all these songs before, but I didn't realise that they were the bonus tracks on the deluxe version. Uh, there's <laughs> right. another one called Too Much Too Soon and uh, Shoplifter. And those three tracks together are an amazing little collection like of uh, mm-hmm. uh, quality pop songs. Um in the same way that some of the uh, uh, other songs are. Um, I was also, I had a look on uh, Wikipedia, as you do, and uh, mm-hmm. American Idiot and Holiday are the only two tracks that actually make direct reference to the uh, mm-hmm. politics mm-hmm. of the time. But it's, but like I said, it sort of ties the two things together just by virtue of just those two songs. It might yeah. have been a bit obviously kind of political if they just, if it'd been through the whole way, and it, those can get a little bit dreary after a while, unless you're Bob Dylan, I guess. And, um, <laughs> 
<laughs> well, there's lots uh, of pop punk bands who do it. Like, there's yeah. a great, um, there's a great pop punk band uh, who have been around for a long, long time called Rise Against, who are always writing stuff about um, sort of contemporary politics um, and bad religion as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. A pop punk band that I've been listening to a bit recently uh, called Anti Flag, who write a lot about Trump. Um, the difficulty I think with sort of contemporary politics is whereas whereas it was you know kind of the done thing that you know George Bush was stupid Iraq was uh, at best a big blunder and at worst you know a collection of war crimes cobbled together um, now it's kind of a lot harder to satirize I mean I don't know how I'd go go about writing a satirical um sort of pop punk kind of album in the vein of Green Day if I was tasked with doing it now because you know because it, it satirizes itself doesn't it the, the, yeah the, the reality is about, more yeah. <laughs> sounds more satirical than, than yeah. the satire so like that's, this, that's the this album has become now. exactly <laughs> but it's true this album has become even more prescient like American Idiot was if you like um, relevant then but even more so now um, you know the, all the lyrics still ring true um, and I think even more so than they did back then. Um, we thought we thought we had a bad then. I guess now it's less. It's less even about. I would say about taking which side. Um, it's not about the side you're on necessarily. It's just a level of, or the lack of civility, and this level of vitriol and all these people gearing up. There's like talk of civil war and stuff like that. Um, and I know it's happening to a lesser degree here in in the UK, but it's still the same sort of thing where people. Um, they can't even agree on facts, let alone agree on what to do. Like, you know, you'll mm-hmm. say, oh, this X and Y is true, and people go, no, it's not, and they'll just deny it. And then at that point, you can't really have a discussion if you can't even agree on what the facts are. There's you know? an awful lot of imagery, actually, in the um, on the album, on American Idiot, mm. about... Uh, because, you know, there's lots of moments where he kind of uses this sort of imitation loud hailer as if he's speaking to this kind of army. He's got the sort of imagery of, uh, like, lots of lots of crowds as if he's uh, addressing lots of uh, lots of mm. people and uh, the music videos as well um the music video for american idiot is is i think a very visually effective video but it's kind of you know just them playing the song in front of great big american flags which then kind of bleed this sort of green liquid it's, it's incredibly visually effective but it's it's very much kind of addressing like a large like a big scale, like this sort of this, and even yeah. calling it American idiot, like you're addressing America. And I think that that is quite a big sort of fuck you statement to use the American flag, which, you know, is something that people get incredibly wound up about. And I think this is maybe one of the reasons why Green Day were, was so kind of pushing the, pushing the envelope with this album is that instead of being like, fuck you, mum and dad, uh, mm. or like, fuck this particular kind of girl or, or particular sort of ev- event that happened, they kind of go through sort of all parts of what was then the contemporary American experience and just sort of dismantle it and go, well, this is completely sort of meaningless. And and the video for Jesus of Suburbia, which is uh, one of, I'll say one of the favourite <laughs> songs, is that's just great because it's a guy, basically it's nine, nine and a half minutes of this just this guy just leaving this completely meaningless existence and then needing, leaving home. And mm. uh and I think that that kind of large scale address is something which is which is very powerful, which is probably achieved on this album, My Green Day, in such in in maybe arguably for the first time in kind of mainstream punk. I will just put a note for anyone who happens to be a hardcore uh, punk 
listener that we we appreciate there is a difference between punk and punk rock but a lot of the same political and uh, mm. uh anarchist themes do run through yeah um yeah, yeah. but this uh don't write, I, yeah, don't write us letters <laughs> yeah please don't write us letters <laughs> i don't know if you know the backstory of this but they actually uh green day recorded uh about 20 demo songs for the follow-up to warning called cigarettes and uh valentines mm-hmm. and the ma- the demo master tapes were stolen, mm-hmm. so the story goes. Um, and then they were they were having a lot of issues as a band. I think it was very argumentative and stuff at the time. And so they they did a lot of uh, kind of work on themselves and them as a unit. Um, and they were basically uh, asked, uh, were were these songs the best work that you could have done? Uh, the ones that were stolen. And they had to admit that it wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. And so they started this more kind of collaborative, collective, creative experience. And they each uh, band member would write little 30-second bits of music and then try to outdo each other with how good they were. And mm-hmm. that became the homecoming um, nine-minute piece mm-hmm. when uh, when they kind of expanded them and, and stitched them together. And so that then formed this idea of like a... It seemed to fit together as chapters of something. Mm-hmm. And then once they started kind of looking, oh, hold on, these like building blocks of something bigger. They then decided to write Jesus of Suburbia and put all the the rest of the things together. And um, then when you know the everything came through, um, uh, and they released it in two thousand and four before the election uh, in the US. And Billy Joe's aim was to make some difference to the vote by engaging uh, some of the youth to get out there and actually opt for something better than they had um mm. which at the time was George W Bush there's a great just as an aside there's a great uh i think uh what would you call it compilation album um called rock against bush which uh yes. i think is uh, <laughs> with bands like alkaline trio uh, ah. no effects um that had governator on it i got to find mm. governator now this is this sounds great <laughs> <laughs> i am the governator <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the point on how the album flows, mm. and it's 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 a whole piece, you know, mm. it's uh it's like a, an opera, a novel, however you wanna wanna view it. There's um so many points where um Green Day play with your sense of like tension and release, um with time signatures and instrumentation, mm. um use of different voices uh, and textures, but they somehow manage to keep it all linked with uh, a couple of. Uh, themes going through um obviously there's the classic punk rock all the way through uh uh Trakel's drum fill um which is referenced several times i mean that that's been one of his uh, hallmarks all through his career but um it's very notable uh in this album it, it's sort of and you know it's gapless in that way that songs mm. a lot of the songs like maybe i'm wrong maybe some of them do but often they don't end they just sort of bleed into the next one especially those um chapter sort of songs like Jesus, uh, the two which is uh, Jesus of Suburbia the two nine minutes yeah um, yeah and Homecoming mm. um, they just sort of go I mean maybe they bleed abruptly into the next one the um, the middle songs between the, the two nine minutes they mm. are actually paired up so on the original CD version I have they're individual songs yeah but, um, but if you look like at Holiday it on the Spotify into the next they, one yeah, 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 Hol- yeah Holiday yeah. does bleed into Boulevard of Broken Dreams yeah exactly um, and there's um, Give Me Novocaine into St. Jimmy I think other way around um, but yeah or She's, yeah. A, Re- She's a Rebel um, yeah, yeah sorry yeah, yeah. that's a oh, tune yeah. St. Jimmy that's a really yeah, good yeah. song Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy, I'm a son of a gun. I'm gonna. Yeah, the Saint Jimmy thing is cool because it's. Uh, 
maybe I'm misunderstanding the story, but I think the to me at least the idea is that there's this concept of the Jesus of suburbia, and it's like a messianic thing, obviously. And the main character, if you like, believes that Saint Jimmy is the Jesus of suburbia and follows him sort of mindlessly. At least that's what comes across to me. Maybe I'm maybe I'm misunderstanding slightly. Maybe we'll get more angry letters telling me I've got it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like that, you know, and it, it's big, it ends up becoming like a false idol. He dies or, I mean, it's a point he, uh, who's the guest vocalist who plays St. Jimmy later on in Hong Kong? Uh, that's Trey Cool, I think. Is that Trey Cool himself? I think it's oh, Trey really? Cool doing okay. it. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I love that bit. I got a rock and roll girlfriend. <laughs> rock and roll wife. Uh, uh, and another ex-wife. <laughs> that bit's awesome. Um and so it's sort of it's I think it's that a lot of pop punk or that or at least Green Day's version of um, punk rock is a kind of un sort of broken promise, if you like, of growing up. And it, maybe it's become a bit of a cliche now, but you know you have all these hopes and dreams, and, and when you're a teenager, and as life goes on, you may those may dull, um, they become duller and they fade a little bit, and. A lot of this kind of music, I think, to me, is capturing that moment. And it can be anger, it can be denial, it can be sadness. People can numb it with Novocaine and, and things like this. <laughs> um, but that's ultimately what's happening. We almost, we almost, I've often thought that sometimes we almost hold being a teenager, being that sort of age, in we we have too much romant, we've romanticized it too much, um, in a way, and that it's it's almost bound to come crashing down one day. But hey, you've got to do it at some point, right? Otherwise life will be boring. It's a funny thing to look at it kind of musically as well, because I think a lot of the um a lot of this album and actually previous Green Day albums as well, are characterized by a um I don't want to sort of go too heavy on theory, but I love music theory. <laughs> go for um, it, go for it. Are characterized by this uh by a flat seventh. Mm. So often you see uh the chord of the flat seven. Um mm which is part of the Mixolydian mode, if you <laughs> if you like that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, you hear it in um, uh, this album. You hear it on uh, the song, the song Haushinka from Nimrod has got a very similar riff in the middle, in like a kind of middle eight kind of section to uh, American Idiot. And Cigarettes and Valentines, the lead track off the album that was stolen cigarettes and valentines that song has also got this kind of flat seven and it makes you just kind of it really sort of jars you um especially given like especially when compared with um like blink 182 and some 41 and uh and so it just kind of makes the the green day record just sound sort of really fresh and kind of vibrant because otherwise otherwise it can get stuck in the sort of one for five mold right is that what you're saying yeah 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 absolutely Um, it's got Um, flat sevens in there which is more rock than punk rock uh-huh. Right. But then in that great big coda, like in the sort of Hey Jude section of uh um Is it Homecoming? Which ends with Are We We Are uh-huh. Are We We Are the uh, Waiting. Yeah, that's that's a separate song, but there's there's That's a, We Are the Waiting. We're, we're, yeah. yeah, but there's <laughs> We're Coming Home Again. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's that bit. And neither of those have that flat seven in, which make them sort of inhabit this kind of just still a space whereas American Idiot's got that flat seven whereas uh, yeah 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 but neither of those two big coders do and it's just kind of interesting and I don't think uh, What's Her Name does in the end of the record either so it's no it doesn't just, yeah it's just an interesting little kind of musical device which long and rambling point being that um, it kind of puts you in this uh, either kind of sort of upbeat kind of 
really sort of rebellious kind of mood in some of the songs and then it sort of begins to kind of almost musically sort of let you down um, in these other songs. It puts you in a much safer space where maybe St. Jimmy is kind of realising that it's not uh, not all it's cracked up to be. Or mm. it's, as, as someone who's not a uh, music um, theory expert, what you are saying is exactly how I get the feeling from the album, that they do control your feelings quite well mm. uh, through that. And there's, um, there's clearly deliberate choice that's gone into right, what do we want this song to impart? Mm. Uh, and how do we want that to flow into the next part of the story? Yeah. Um, and, you know, whether they approach that from the side of knowing the story and wanting to fit the music or having the music and going, ah, how could that fit into the story? It doesn't, I think the, the outcome is the same. Yeah, uh, this, this whole this album is, is sort of expertly done in manipulating your emotion that way. Like, mm. you re- it re- it, it, to, to put it in... In another way, it hits you in the feels. Like you know, when, it, when, it, when it's when it's high, it, you know, it sort of really gets you up. And like even after listening to it thousands of times, when um when you have "Give Me Another K" and going into "She's a Rebel," suddenly you're just like "She's a Rebel," da-da, and you have this like galloping beat and everything. Um, it still gets me every time, and it sort of gets you up and about. And uh, the performances are there, the sound is there, the flow of the songs between them and the gaps between them or the lack thereof. Um. It, uh, like Andy said, it's it's done deliberately. At least it has that impression that they're firmly in control of what what they're doing, mm. um, and uh, that's why it's such a such a high point, I think, of music in general, but also, of course, their own career. Mm. Um, well, even from the very first kind of uh, from the very first riff, so you hear the kind of main riff from American Idiot first played through this sort of FM. Mm. Uh, style mm. um, sort of sound, uh, yeah, yeah, and it's, it's almost as if to do. <laughs> it's, oh, it's great. It sounds so, and you, but you just kind of get that feeling that right, okay, this is playing played through this FM radio style effect, and so it puts in your mind, right, I'm supposed to be kind of listening to this on the radio. Well, there's going to be lots and lots of people listening to this on the radio, and it's got that imagery again of just like this is a song that's supposed to be kind of like a broadcast, like a political broadcast, mm. which is. It's just really interesting to think about the the the, the way that this this kind of imagery um, mm. is mm. is used. That's important. And uh, another thing is that uh, just from a pure kind of production side of things, the just doing that constraining the if you like the bandwidth or how much bass and treble there is in the big, very beginning of a song. When the song does the rest of it does kick in, it sounds just that much bigger mm. because your brain kind of adjusts, even if it's fleeting. Just it just adjusts to that FM sort of sound. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly the track sounds because it sounds massive when it just when it does kick in it goes down as you would expect on uh, such a, a band on their seventh record who are, were big enough anyway but mm-hmm. the actual sound is huge like the the drum sound yeah uh, mm-hmm. is is kind of like exactly what you want from a big rock mm-hmm. uh, kit what um, I also like about it is that it's not hyped a lot of that no and it's stuff it sounds quite natural. Um, I think I think the master is a bit too slammed. It you know came out in that peak of the loudness wars kind of era, so it's a mm. little too slammed for my taste a little bit. Um, Who I produced think, it? Was it Chris Lord Alt? Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, well, I actually no, he mixed or, it. Sorry, I'm looking oh, at right, the okay. notes here. He mixed it, uh, produced by Rob Cavallo and Green Day. Yes. Sorry, Andy, I cut you off a little bit there. I can't remember exactly what I was saying. Probably about the drum sound. It's a good drum sound. Mm. It's uh, good <laughs> yeah. work, uh, Treacle. I remember reading um, an interview with uh, Treacle in Rhythm Magazine because uh, I was, uh, you know, that was still the year of the magazine at the time. But he was uh, he was uh, basically saying how uh, he approaches uh, his drum parts 
um, which is that if you can't do it on a small kit, you're probably uh, doing too much anyway. And it was only for this album that he added a second floor tom just to get the extra like dudum at the same time, mm. uh, the kind of power from it, and he added a, an extra symbol or two. But he's um, uh, he's been called the modern day Ringo in the same kind of way that Dave Grohl has in that his drum parts are exactly what are needed for the song and they're not trying to do too much. Um, mm. uh, we can compare to Travis Barker, uh, Blink-182, uh, at this point, where I think Travis Barker on record is absolutely phenomenal. Live, he kind of dominates the music because he's such a better musician than uh, both the other guys in uh, Blink-182 that he, uh, he, he dominates. Ju- he's just doing too much, basically. Um, whereas Trey Cool, you could never level that accusation. He's always playing in service of the song. Um, he's got the right amount of energy, or he brings it down with this huge repeated drum rhythm that um, doesn't hold the same kind of dum cha dum cha beat that you would expect to find at different tempos in in almost all rock music. Um, and there's uh, there's some great instrumentation uh, percussion wise uh, in this album. I'm not sure if Trey Cool played it all, but there's um, lovely marching snare. There's timpani. There's a real extra thought that's gone into uh, again, like we've said it several times, controlling that emotion through the uh, through the story. You having a look at the liner notes? Yeah, now. I'm seeing. I'm seeing if it says anything about um, uh, here, but it it doesn't say. It just says Trey Cool drums. So I assume he played them. Mm. Uh, two of my favorite songs uh, from this are "Give Me Novocaine" and uh, "What's Her Name," mm. because mm-hmm. they they do that thing of the kind of semi-acoustic sound on the guitar and then they launch into the huge massively overdriven parts and i really like that tension and release because uh i think in my in my youth i had that uh you know all the swirling emotions and it kind of captured that mm-hmm. kind of uh sometimes sometimes you want to feel things you know oh yeah it's something it's a, that uh it's that loud quiet thing that uh nirvana mm-hmm. picked up off the pixies so famously yeah um yeah yeah so it still works you know to this day, you get uh, this is completely sort of off topic, but you get kind of the inverse, which is some some kind of uh, a bit of a new phenomenon called the anti-chorus. So if you ever listen to uh, Dark Horse by Katy Perry, oh yeah, it's kind of really sort of fully instrumented in the uh, hmm. in the and verse, it gets stripped down in the chorus. And yeah, yeah, it's just literally like this synth riff, and it's just a very interesting that kind of juxtaposition side by side, um, which yeah, as you say, works so well in um, yeah. In what's it's the same thing. It's just where you put it in the song is different. Like you said, it captures something, especially in Novocaine, and a lot of a lot of this stuff is like is almost written like a classic fifties pop song, um, mm. and I love that kind of sort of say pop song. I mean, they called it pop back then. It's kind of rock and roll, but you know what I mean. And some of my favorite artists write in this style, even if it's not, it's not that it's not trying to be retro. It's not trying to. It's not doing a pastiche of that stuff, but it's written in a very similar way. Like uh, you know, Rob was saying about um, the sort of cadences that are used, the simplicity of, you know, having a 154 a lot of the time and then chucking in some of the sixths and the sevenths. Um, mm. and Give Me Another Cane for me does that as well. It, it could be, especially with that sort of acoustic guitar, that sort of languid thing, um, at least reminds me of a sort of 50s, 60s song. Uh, yeah. Even though it has nothing to do with that, I know, but it's, it's <laughs> in that same sort of mold. Mm. I do like the, the liner notes, I'm just going to say. They're sort of like a, a notebook. Uh, oh, cool! Uh, handwritten yes. stuff and like bits are crossed out and and you really stuff. you kind of you just really hope that that's actually how they wrote it. But. Yeah, I mean, I doubt that, but <laughs> no, no. <laughs> 
And you wrote all of your things on square paper? Oh, how, <laughs> how convenient. <laughs> I used to, I remember sitting in front of my uh, hi-fi, well, my parents' hi-fi when I, when I had that album. I, I used to be like revision for me. I used to just listen to the album <laughs> end-to-end with the liner notes. And mm. I could probably sing along to all the songs to this day, actually. Probably. Well, actually, I say that as in has got experience of me forgetting the words, as he said. Right <laughs> <at the start. laughs> so maybe that's a claim I don't want to make just yet. But. Well, it's because you weren't sitting at home in front of your hi-fi. Oh, uh, situational. So. Oh, excuse was, me. Um, uh, I was slightly wrong. So here in uh, a Rock and Roll Girlfriend, it's a letter to St. Jimmy. It's, a, it's written on a postcard in, uh, the li- in, the li- in the liner notes. Do you have uh, any standout songs? Ah. <sighs> Standout songs. Well, I mean, I would have to go, I know that it's a common choice, but I would have to go for American Idiot because of the imagery and both the music video and uh, in the song itself, it just addresses kind of uh, a nation and it it is just a simple kind of, I think it's about two minutes and 43 seconds. It's just a simple kind of distillation of what how a song works. It's like a black coffee, you know, it's got no frills, but it, it sort of really kind of packs a punch. It's it's uh, it's uh, just such a strong opening statement. I don't think that it can be ignored. And I I, 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 I would have to give as blunt an answer as that because it is, you know, it's just a, a blunt, a blunt implement. I agree with you. It's, it's, it's a cracking opener. And it's, if you like, it's the overture of the, of the story of the music of the operetta. I, I, I have a few like strong contenders, like, uh, <laughs> Holiday St. Jimmy, give me Novocaine. Extraordinary Girl is pretty good. Um, and I'm, I'm going to stop now before I name every single That's song. Just that. the <laughs> we haven't even talked about Wake Me Up When September Ends, which was a huge song. Um, it was, yeah. And it's, it's, there's that whole meme now of on the 1st of October, the, all of Twitter is just saying, somebody wake up, Billy Joe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think I, it's, tra- it's, it's transcended yeah, you know, the, exactly. the music, hasn't exactly. it? Like, <laughs> um, like I said, we haven't even talked about it. Um, Rock and Roll Girlfriend isn't a whole song, so I can't really pick that, although it's cool. My favorite song is What's Her Name mm-hmm. from this album, I think. It's a really good way to end. Um, it's like a, it's it's sort of the inverse, if you like, of American Idiot Way. It doesn't just come and grab you. It, it has the highs and lows, as Andy said. It has this big dun 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 kind of chords. Um, but it's it's definitely the right way to finish this album, I think. And it's it's a lovely tune, and um, it has a slightly different sound in the drums. They're a little bit sort of muted sounding. Um, yeah, yeah, for the for the quieter. Yeah, so for the quiet bits. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I I always view that uh, that song as um, like watching someone walking away. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly, and that's that's what I mean. It it sort of sends you off, you know, at the end of the album, which sort of says this is this is your way going. It sums up the story, and it's it, it obviously has the sadness and the melancholy. Um, and then there's those great lines. Um, Remember whatever it feels like forever ago. Yeah, which is yeah. The delivery of those and the like, the vocal harmony and the the yeah. call and response from the guitars to the vocals is mm. uh, that's, mm. that's a that's a real. And then it just lets it all go. It ends with that sort of little kind of. And it goes back to dun, dun, guitar dun, dun, riff, sort of yeah. like that. No, yeah, it's yeah. it's a really good song. Andy, I would have gone for what's her name, but uh, for the sake of diversity, I'll um. Oh. I want to say give me Novocaine just for that teenage emotion it gives me. But um, I think the my favourite song is Homecoming. Um, just for, I know it's a nine-minute song, so you're kind of like, <laughs> it's an EP in itself. 
but the the progressions through there and the little pieces of music what they come up with they're so mm. you can you can tell like they were crackling with energy while they were writing those is there anything you'd like to plug rob anything i'd like to plug uh yeah. I mean, there it is. I've got this kind of uh, sort of semi-EP coming out within the next couple of months called Never Better. It's, uh, it's yeah, it's like a sort of kind of low, lo-fi kind of classical sort of think Oliver Arnold's and uh, Nils Fram, if those are names that mm-hmm. are familiar. Um, mm-hmm. Max Richter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just kind of sort of chilled, um, just sort of classical slash mild electronica um in parts uh yeah uh takes a bit of a break from my uh actual kind of serious serious in inverted commas academic composition which is all really weird avant-garde stuff where i like electrocute myself and like <laughs> throw, throw things <laughs> so yeah it's a bit more a bit more relaxed than that but yeah nice yeah. nice uh, i'll put the links in the in the notes um for everybody to see Buy lots of it. I'm gonna, despite my anti anti Spotify rant, uh, it will probably be on Spotify. <laughs> so if you want to give me like two p, then listen to it four thousand times. <laughs> uh, Andy, what's happening in Automatic Panic World? We're working on uh, various things that may or may not be out by the mm. uh, time you're listening to this. It'll be a. There's a. We're working on a, a kind of exclusive AP. Um, so you, for our subscribers, if you like. Uh, people who subscribe to our mailing list will have access to an EP that we're we're not going to release at least uh, in, in a mainstream while. way, so to speak. Yeah. I think we're, we're talking about doing a hard uh, a sort of a physical release, seven incher, which would be pretty cool. But otherwise, you won't hear it on Spotify and things like that, which is quite fun. Exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I should subscribe to your mailing list. Actually, you should. <laughs> ah, you see, there we go. It's caught, a bit embarrassing. Caught, caught on camera. You're not going to have me back now. <laughs> I'm dying to come back for that Alkaline Trio record. So, you know, yeah, yeah. you've, got, you've okay. got my number. Yeah. Okay, okay, we'll get you back. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Uh, thanks very much uh, for joining us, Rob. Thank you so much for having me. Rate us, review, uh, give us five stars because you have to do that if you get through a whole podcast episode now. I think that's um, the contract that you enter in when you start. Um, and uh, we will speak to you again next time. This is the thing. I think that, I mean, music has basically always been about two things. It's either been about fighting people or about trying to sleep with people. And that, broadly speaking... They're not mutually exclusive, but... um, Not necessarily. I mean, you know, it's 2020. I'm open to a a very diverse landscape in the bedroom, but... uh,